Welcome to the Godspeed Institute, an enlightening and positive forum exploring all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems as an on-air classroom in an effort to help people better understand each other, promote tolerance, and foster peace. I'm your host, Care Hallandbeck. Yahya Lababidi is an Egyptian-American thinker and poet nominated for a Pushcart Prize by World Literature Today magazine. Lababidi's first book, Signposts to Elsewhere, was selected as a 2008 Book of the Year by British publication The Independent. Signposts was followed by well-received collections of literary and cultural essays, Trial by Ink, From Nietzsche to Belly Dancing, a book of poetry titled Fever Dreams, and a series of literary dialogues with Alex Stein called The Artist as Mystic. Lababidi was chosen as a juror for the 2012 Neustadt International Prize for Literature. His latest book is a new collection of short poems, Barely There. And Yahya, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for being with us today. Normally, we wouldn't necessarily explore um, a solely literary uh, work as poetry on the Godspeed Institute, but the core and the just utter beauty of your work is deeply spiritual in nature and uh, touches the heart and something I really would like to share with our listeners. Um, now, you are the only contemporary Arab writer featured in the encyclopedia Geary's Guide to the World's Great Aphorists. <laughs> now, how did you get there? Let's hear a little of your story. Well, I, I got lucky. I think that's the short and true answer. Uh, there is a bit of a story behind that because I had, I had uh, just landed. Uh, I, I came from Egypt. It was... Um, Two weeks after arriving from Egypt to the United States, eight years ago now, incredibly, that I received a note from Geary. He had he had uh, he was putting together a compilation of of uh, aphorists and uh, his encyclopedia. He previously had worked in a past incarnation as uh, Time Europe's editor, Time Magazine's editor, and his real passion and love were were sayings, aphorisms. Sort of very condensed uh, wisdom literature, pith. and a friend, a mutual friend of ours, an American poet whom I respect, James Richardson, was good enough to recommend me to Geary. And Geary approached me, and it seemed to make it seemed to make all the sense in the world. Just having arrived in this, you know, new world to get something like this, it was my first route, uh, and I thought, okay, this is this is. This is a good thing that I'm here, and, and since then I've, I've really I've stayed these eight years and, and continued to work here. Now, can you share a little bit of uh, why you left Egypt eight years ago? It just seemed at some point like there wasn't enough air to breathe. I didn't, I didn't realize, uh, well, I may have unconsciously realized that this was the case for everyone else, too, because I had a very privileged life. I... I went to international schools. I, I I led a comparatively very good life in Egypt. Uh, but you know, this was before the revolution, so it was it was there was this sense of, of, of deprivation and frustration, and it was it was mounting. And 
And for me, uh, as someone who, who doesn't write in Arabic, I, I actually write in English, um, I just became more and more uncomfortable uh, doing what the only thing I know how to do because of this sense of, no, you can't say this, no, you shouldn't say this. And, and I thought, okay, maybe it's time to just leave. Uh, I had been in the same job. I'd been working in the United Nations for nearly 10 years. Um, I just, I needed out. I needed to test my wings and see what else I could do. Thank you very much um, for that. We'll get back to discussing Egypt a little later, I think. Mm. But uh, in the meantime, can you share some about how the how this Egyptian-American culture uh, has molded you? Um, I, know, I know that being... Um, I, I know that I'm, I'm not a good Egyptian in the sense of, again, I don't write in Arabic, and this is a, a source of, of great guilt. Not enough to actually do something about it, uh, but, but just that I feel removed that way. Uh, at the same time, perhaps my love of sayings and, and, and wisdom, uh, uh, literature, proverbs, etc., comes from there, because it's very common where I come from for people to speak Entirely insane. You know, I had, I had both grandmothers, paternal and maternal, carry lengthy conversations that were made of sayings. Uh, and so very early on, I, I, I appreciated this. Um, also now, you know, I can't as a writer ignore what's happening back home. And so it tends to be more of my prose that, uh, that I use to address day-to-day uh, issues. Uh, whether it's, you know, the revolution, post-revolution, how the people are, are responding, this kind of thing. Occasionally, I, I feel like it, it's, it's impossible to ignore. I did go to Mexican school, so I, I, I started off that way. I, I do have English, which I, I work with and perhaps even dream in. But being an American, actually being an American, that was another one of the surprises and gifts of, of showing up here. I don't know if I'm going off uh, you'll, you'll, you'll bring me back. But uh, that, when I first came here, I didn't understand quite how I could justify my being here. And within the first year or two, I was fortunate to get something called Alien of Extraordinary Ability Visa, which, which justified my being here um, as someone who can you know, possibly contribute uh, to the culture. So that that settled me in, and, and, and since then I've been, you know, trying to observe this culture uh, at, at closer range. Can you say the name of that again, the Alien of... Alien of Extraordinary Ability, which, which makes me feel like E.T. <laughs> but basically I think it's uh, commonly known as an artist visa, or, or I've heard people call it a scientist visa. How fascinating, and it might actually supply you with the title of your next book. <laughs> it, it, it's something, I, I mean, I've always felt like, you know, but to be called one like that, that really, uh, that, that, did, that did mean something to me. I think that's great. Um, now, you mentioned your childhood there, and I just want to uh, just touch base on that again. I'm just wondering if you were raised in a particularly uh, religious or spiritual household, or some sort of like, what was the foundation around this in your life? not religious. Um, as a matter of fact, I rebelled against this. I had a prolonged uh, existential crisis from, you know, 18 to 32, where I was much more inclined to listen to, you know, um, the great doubters. Uh, the, the circumstance that I was raised in, um, 
was literary. My, my folks, uh, mother especially, um, cultivated this sort of literary salon. So I, I was so, you know, as a very young man before I knew I was a writer. I was surrounded by writers, and, and, and some of them, you know, like uh, Yusuf Idris, who is, is up for the Nobel alongside Nagid Mahfouz, and these thinkers, Louis Howard, or, you know, basically our, our big uh, thinkers and poets and writers, and a lot of them were, were doubters. And, you know, I, you know, as a young man, I would hear in the air, you know, them shaking their fists and challenging God or questioning and doubting and... And I, I didn't know what to make of this or anything else, but I just, I was exposed to that. And then as I grew up also, um, not not to speak discouragingly but of, of, of where I come from, but I was more exposed to a kind of uh, superficial, ostentatious, sometimes hypocritical religiosity that, that really turned me off, which was... Uh, very showy and loud and admonishing, and yet you sort of watched their behavior and it had nothing to do with what they were uh, saying or, or, or proposing. And, 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 and as a result, I thought, okay, I want none of this. I want to have nothing to do with any of this, which is very reactionary. And, and, and strangely, you know, now, in the last few years, I think to be returning by way of the back door you know, uh, those Persian, those marvelous Persian poets and Sufi mystics to, to, to another kind of faith that I would never have allowed myself when I was back home. Would you say that the sort of recent uh, awareness of, uh, let's say, a poet like Rumi entering the Western culture um, has helped to open this door? No, no not for me. I'm not old enough that this is uh, something new for me. This is something that, um, you know, uh, Gubran, for example, was probably the first, my first proper introduction. My father is Lebanese. It's inescapable. Uh, Gubran and, uh, you know, his mysticism and the kind of thing I was reading him at 14 or 15 or 16, his letters, and that was there. The, the mystical aspect always uh, appealed to me, even though I wouldn't admit it to myself. It was religion that was the bad word, and religious people that were suspect, uh, because, again, uh, of, of, of a, a few bad examples, few very loud bad examples that I spoke to. So, um, no, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think we've gotten any more popular uh, in the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. And for me, uh, it's just sort of an inner responsiveness that, that I think, okay, now I'm, 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 I'm somehow ready to hear this. Thank you for that. And um, it's amazing how, uh, you know, growing up in a, in a secular household uh, as uh, you have, the poetry that you've written is, is so deeply spiritual in nature. When did you first write, start to write poetry? I think I, think I always was scribbling uh, something resembling poetry, or, 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 or I thought it was resembling poetry. Um, I remember as a very young kid, something about my grandmother's smile, you know. But I think, uh, properly speaking, it wasn't until my mid-twenties that I wrote something that I could, you know, really feel uh, could be called poetry. Also, uh, even now, on, if I were to be completely frank with you, I I don't 
quite feel that I can answer to the, to the title poet. I think maybe when I'm writing a poem, possibly, but um, it just it, it, sometimes it happens to dress itself that way. Uh, but, but the actual poetry is almost always an accident and a surprise for me. I, I look at it myself and, and think, oh, okay, this. I guess this is poetry. Um, I've noticed, you know, in my life that um, uh, in my in my I've I've written some poetry as well. But I find that you know, as a, I'm a left-handed person, <laughs> and and I can write on a keyboard. I can write verse on a keyboard. I can edit on a keyboard. I can do everything on a computer. But I can't write a poem on the computer. I have to have the pen in my left hand because it seems to be coming from a different place or at least being the words are somehow ordered in a different way to in mm. in response to uh some whatever reality is being observed um mm. i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> it, makes, it makes a lot of sense i need to scratch it out and most in most cases i'm you know uh in bed with the lights low, I'm afraid if I if I if I turn the lights on, even if I put my glasses on, I'll scare it away. So I'm very I have these these queer rituals. Uh, the computer is when I'm confident enough that I have something that might pass for for poetry, and then I'll sit and you know develop the thing. But I need to I need to scratch it out on paper, and 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 mostly it's uh, it's sort of hesitant and tremulous, and often in the dark. And now, uh, with that, I'd like to turn to Barely There, your latest book, and um, which I love in the dedication, you say the ultimate work of art is who we are and what we do. And uh, it's in that sort of existential awareness uh, that the book goes on. I'd like to, uh, I don't know if you have a copy with you. I'd like yeah. to I'd like to share a little and you can read some. <laughs> um that would be great. But uh the one of the early poems in the book is Embracing We Let Go, which is of course that paradoxical uh and 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 I love this uh what use to name this silent master preparing us for dying or the divine. I'm not sure there's a difference, but no in embracing we let go. Um, I hear a lot of um, this kind of in-between place in your poetry, uh, which is, of course, where growth happens and love happens and surrender happens. And these are all very deeply spiritual themes. Um, can you share a little um, uh, about uh, where, the, where this kind of poem comes from and, and, and what is it you're observing? Everything you said is spot on. Uh, it, it comes from a kind of dawning, uh, a realization, really just in the, again in the past few years, and and under the influence of, of my wife, I'll, I'll grant her that, which is why I dedicated it to her, that that the real work is off the page, and uh, and the writing, this this you know this enterprise, this uh, is it, just stepping stones to somehow perfecting something far greater that we're entrusted with, and that's ourselves. So, so it, 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 it has to do with, with, with the art of dying, which, uh, which presumably is, is another sort of uh, enterprise that I'm realizing is much bigger and, 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 and uh, 
again off the page than I than I suspected when I first started writing, and and also um, just just knowing that this is not this is not fully mine. Whereas previously it was it was the mind, always the mind, the altar of the mind that I you know worshipped at and words. And now I'm thinking you know neither mind nor nor the words, but, but something else, um, which which I just sort of had to ready ready the the, the ground for and, and step out of the way and, and let it take place. In the, there was another poem in there, Exchanges, which actually brought tears uh, to my eyes. I shared it with my mm. husband. And um, mm. your work, uh, you, that, that, that particular poem uh, is preceded by a short quote by Rumi. Um, and your, your poems do remind me. They have the tone and the kind of quality of Rumi and Sappho and, and a lot of other really just great mystic poets. And um, so... Uh, let me see. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to share this one, and I hopefully will not cry. <laughs> it just struck me. It just really hit me. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sound cruel, but I'm really happy to hear you say that because I, I, I think that's the kind of wordless response that I, I couldn't hope for more from a reader. Mm. Well, I appreciate that, uh, and perhaps you know for. Uh, it, it touches if if everyone has loved and lost or grieved, mm. you know, it 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 can it can touch a lot of people. It, this is called exchanges, and the pre quote here is, "Don't grieve. Anything you lose comes round in another form." Rumi. And your words, what unexpected turns our losses take in winding their way back into our arms? An absent lover returns as many others a nation forsaken in the shape of a new life. Poems might take the place of parents, and friends gone come back as a wife. If love were not always a step ahead, how would it ensure we kept up the chase? That's the line. Yeah, you know, it, that, 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 that even surprises me now that I hear it. I, I know where it's coming from. It's coming from uh, on an immediate physical um level of specificity, meaning this I that happened to leave behind everything, a home, a country, everything that that means something that I that I knew and to and to start again, which is not which is not a unique experience, but it's it's unique to me because I haven't I didn't do that yet. Um, but also in in doing so, I I, I realize somehow that uh, again, this is something that this is part of. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm groping in the dark towards uh, something that is that is that is leading me somehow. Uh, I I wouldn't have had the courage to, to to separate from everything if I didn't. Again, if if love weren't somewhere ahead beckoning me, and and I think I think again this comes back to this idea of of trusting that we're in good hands, even in the dark, even in the midst of loss, that there is, there is, there is something greater than our understanding of things, and, 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 and it'll see us through if we just uh, don't struggle and, and, and kick and paw and scream as we're being moved from one station to the next. 
And uh, yes, I think the phrase that, you know, the idea that love is always a step ahead, you know, mm. it translates to hope and that, you know, there is a loving uh, order <laughs> of things and a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wonder if uh, you have barely there, if you would share a poem called Misread Signs. They're flipping as we speak. I see it now. Misread signs. False prophet, nightly heralding a man-made God, gilding the air with promise of revelation. A song in truth no less sweet for being counterfeit. Let us forgive the short-sighted visionary. Pity the poor bird, its ill-timed enthusiasm, its unholy lapse of judgment and misplaced hymn, having mistaken a common street lamp for the miracle of a rising sun. Thank you so much for that. Wow. Was there anything in particular that inspired this uh, poem about the false prophet? <laughs> a, a bird serenading a street lamp that had come on. Beyond the literal, <laughs> in the other world, the, the metaphorical world, the world of parable, so very much um, uh, that is masquerading as the real thing or, 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 or people who have gotten tired of waiting and and surrender to, to the simulacrum of, of something that isn't quite what they were waiting for. I hope that's not too ambiguous. Do you find a lot of your inspiration from nature? So, I mean, I, I don't spend enough time with nature, but, but I know that every time I, I am around it or in it or, or mindful of, of, of it, I, it's always a revelation. I, I think that that's the best, uh, schooling that one can get is just to to grow as quiet and still as possible and be with nature and, and the natural world. Um, there's another a part of a poem called Untitled or Unentitled Poem. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this might be something people can relate to. <laughs> I know I did. Uh, there's the uh, stanza that says, I have not found the key to myself, the one that will get the high gates to swing wide open and the lights to come on at once. Is this a, a comment perhaps on uh, spiritual growth or the kind of attempts that people, you know, how, how we envision that for ourselves? Remembering, forgetting, forgetting, remembering. Uh, all the gains that we had one day squandered the next because of uh, inattention or just not being uh, fully there and knowing what you know. Uh, I, I, I cannot say that I'm, I'm, being, I'm speaking from a place of, uh, of, of my full knowledge at all times. I, I don't think uh, many people can say that. So this is, this is, this is my way of uh, speaking to myself. Try again. That's great. Um, we're about halfway through the program right now, and um, I'm just—I would like to take a short break for a program ID. Would you please just stay on the line? Absolutely.
This is Care Hallenbeck, and you're listening to the Godspeed Institute, a program dedicated to spiritually based living and to religious tolerance. When we return from the break, we'll continue our conversation with Egyptian American poet and author Yahya Lababidi. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Godspeed Institute. You're live with CARE, and we're speaking with Egyptian-American poet and author Yahya Lababidi about his latest book, Barely There. Now, we have enjoyed a wonderful conversation in the first part of this program about your poetry and some of your background, and we're going to share some more poetry from uh, the new book here. But I would like to touch base on poetry itself if you have a moment, the importance of poetry persevering in this world and its place there. Could you speak a little bit to that in your experience? Well, poetry, as I understand it uh, now, is is a kind of contact with another world, if if you'll permit me, Um, irrespective of one's belief system or, or the whole naming game. It's this sense of connection with, 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 with the vastness, with uh, timelessness, with something that that takes you out of yourself, out of your finite self, and then also your, your specific circle, and and brings you into uh, contact with something that is a reminder, uh, which we all need reminders, of, of something limitless. And, and, and this has been uh, my experience, at least because of the poems that, that, that I read 
and and hopefully it's it's what I hope uh, hopefully it's something that I I can uh, achieve in my writing to sort of nudge the reader uh, in that direction to sort of stir finer centers or higher organs of perception so that suddenly we we can sort of look up and around and think hey well I didn't realize this is where I was I didn't realize it was things were somehow um, so alive and 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 I was so very much a part of them to this extent thank you for that it seems to yes allow for that opportunity it's kind of detached in a way um, but very stark and pared down it, it sort of mm. t- touches the holy without being prayer you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it seems there's to a, there's, there's a quote let's say I'm paraphrasing uh, Bandeville fantastic uh, contemporary novelist and he speaks he speaks of, of somehow uh, uh, writing or, or, or he has very poetic prose so it can double up his poetry um, being able to it's like a it's like a gaze a very intense gaze that that gets uh, things to to open up and confess their secrets I'd like to think poetry can do that that it can make things blush and offer up their secrets that's beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, I uh, I like a there's a, a a little poem in your book called Stamina, mm. which I like is uh, uh, it refers to hope, and it it says hope is more patient than fickle despair, and so outlasts it. And there's a lot of this uh, theme in your work um, about hope. Uh, and and again, as we were talking before, about this sort of in-between place, mm. uh, which I really enjoy. Um, can you share your, if if you can get to the poem called Liberation? I'd love to hear you share that one. Liberation. And once you've arrived at the perimeters of personality, that knot of contradictions Idiosyncrasy is called character. Through the hall of mirrors that comfort and distort, the liberation of undifferentiation awaits the well-ventilated soul. Thank you. The well-ventilated soul. What an amazing phrase. That'll be another title of another book. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's this undifferentiation business. I I keep finding that I return to you know, uh, this formulation of being outside of specificity or it's this idea of, uh, again, to give, to give birth to a God, uh, the self has to die in equilibrium, you know, being, being, yes, we are a person who is born in a place to parents with a name and a this and traits and all of that, and this too informs our being. But then beyond that, beyond that, uh, and before that, and after that, it's something else, and that's and this is this is the sense of again that place that poetry can take you to, where you're 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 sort of you're whisked out uh, or teased out of yourself into something else, and the well-ventilated soul is one that allows you know the in and the out, uh, as opposed to something you know rigid that that doesn't uh, let in air or light. Yes, thank you for that. And um, when you say 
The self has to die to give birth to God. I hear every person I have spoken with around the world uh, on this program over the past four years because at the core, not of the religion per se, but at the core of the spiritual basis of whether they be Christians or Buddhists or Sufis or, you know, uh, anyone I'm speaking with, this is a pattern that everyone yeah. at some point touches on, which is this, what it's, whether it's called a surrender to new life or a, mm -hmm. the self has, you say, the self has to die to give birth to God, but it's not a bad thing. It's moving beyond what you call the, you know, it's getting into the undifferentiation where, you know, it, from my experience here, everyone, we are touching on principles that apply worldwide as human beings, as a human family, and what, Absolutely. you know, what we have observed about what love requires. Absolutely, Kerry. I think you, you really said it. And this is why uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, spiritual tourist that I am. At some point, uh, I'm still uh, enamored of Buddhism. The the, the Tao Te Ching really did me in, uh, and and, and I, I felt I had to share. You know, and I bought copies and shared them with everyone that that I came in contact with, that I cared for. Afterwards, you know, I, I spent time with with the lives of, of Christian saints, and still do, and still do. And now finding myself in this in this territory with 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 the, with the Sufis which seems, you know, uh, familiar, at least the language of it seems familiar in a way that perhaps others haven't to this extent. But I think what is common to all of them is this idea of um, somehow beyond our immediate sense of allegiances, there's a higher allegiance. And that, and, and that higher allegiance is, 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 is nameless. You, you can't to say that I, you know, belong to this group uh, at the expense of that group is, is silly and small because actually uh, mysticism and what is beautiful about mysticism is, is somehow that the dogma evaporates and they all meet up in the ether in the same place. Yes, well, you know, I'm sure listeners have heard me mention this <laughs> more than once, but, you know, I... I I came to faith as an adult and mm. and wound up rather quickly in the sort of mystical traditions um, mm. in Catholicism, where if you read, like you were just mentioning, you get into the works of Teresa of Avila or John of the Cross, oh, yeah. and you're basically oh, yeah. reading Rumi. I mean, they have it's it's a similar use of language at the mystical level. Absolutely, and it's, I think the experience, the reason the language is similar, is because of the experience itself is similar, and it just, uh, the, the language is, is, is the language uh, available to them. There's all, the only way to describe what's happening uh, is, is in similar terms, because it's a similar experience. It's a same for transcend uh, names and, and specificity. And the language becomes larger to sort of embrace uh, common symbols and themes mm -hmm. that people can mm -hmm. relate to. Your poem, Mysticism, in the book Barely There, a short poem, What is a Mystic But One Who Swoons Defenseless in the Face of Beauty? I think uh, when we were talking earlier about the self and the rest of it, the self, the ego, the mind, all of these uh, chew toys and, 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 and defenses uh, don't, don't want to, to surrender because they're very identified 
with you know with with, with their small gains. They think that uh, you know whether it's self, which which is, is, is a parameter, ego certainly, etc. Uh, they think that if they were if they were not to sort of you know hold up their hands and and, and say mine, uh, then they would they would they would lose out. But in fact, it's in this losing out. That, that one senses, uh, you know, a limitless space and expansion, and and a belonging that that doesn't that doesn't ever quite figure uh, in the smaller instance. There's never a belonging. There's more of a of a of a, of a restless defensiveness. The defenselessness is, is in the case of beauty. I think I think that's that's fairly common to the mystic or even prostrate. They can't they can't help themselves. Can't help themselves. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Uh, good, good. Now, during in your work, there's a recurring theme. There are a few recurring themes. And one of them is the theme of other parents. Uh, poems can be other parents, as you say. And there are other things along the way in the book that, that, um, uh, that raise up this, this question, as well as the concept of pain and its fruits mm-hmm. comes up. Can you share a little bit about these themes? You're a close reader, man. <laughs> well, things yeah. pop out to me that I must re- relate to, basically. I mean, they say yeah. that about, you know, any good book or book of poems. Mm-hmm. If Whenever you pick it up, you're going to see something in it, something else in it, sure. you know? Sure. No, I think, I, I do think, I mean, I, I do think those are, I think when you write, you confess, whether unconsciously or otherwise. And and this was something that, you know, initially as a young man, I thought, oh, I'm never going to write and share my secrets with the world. Then you realize, you know, you, you're beside yourself and your secrets aren't even yours, they're everyone else's. Um, parents, yes. Um, how to put this delicately? Uh, my parents are alive. They're well. They're also well-meaning. But... Um, I've, I've needed uh, to to seek out uh, surrogate parents in, in in others and in and primarily through literature, really. Um, because it's uh, because there were there were difficulties as as, as people have uh, difficulties, you know, grave and, and minor growing up. But um, I do realize now. Uh, again, uh, slightly impersonally, so that I don't become too identified with the thing, that this too is a gift. That this idea of, of pain, I have, I, I think it's in this book, I, uh, there's a, a short poem about being lavishly uh, gifted with a pain and, and, just, and just by moving it across the page, learning to make art. Well, um, I, I think if there was uh, if there was any uh, difficulty, then this difficulty is is central to who I've become as a as a writer and as a human being. So, not to glamorize pain because I don't think we should. I think we should just uh, give it its due and nothing more, so it doesn't it doesn't return. Um, but I do think that if we take care of ourselves in a, in a mindful way. Uh, the pain itself can be transformed into into gifts for for ourselves and and others and and, and the people that I grew up reading as a young man really helped me with that. Um, I think primarily of existentialist uh, thinkers and poets and how 
pain was always, you know, in, in the process of being transformed. And then at this point, of course, uh, with, the, with the mystics, the pain is, is beyond this world. It's the pain of the exile, the pain of the eternal exile who has to, you know, make do in, in this world when when they only have, you know, guilt to breathe in the next. So I hope I hope there's an answer there somewhere without being too indiscreet. Oh no. No, that uh, yeah. I just completely un- understand what you're saying there. And um Yes, I uh, I remember I, I wrote in uh, uh, my first book, Dear Little One, which started off being mm. to, to my children, but basically it's to, mm. it's to everybody, you know, mm. that you're only a child of your parents to an extent, and the larger part of you belongs to God and, and this universe, <laughs> and to sort of keep that in mind, <laughs> you know. Uh, I think that's wise, and, and it, may, it may take a while to sink in, because we sort of, you know, we're, we're identified, uh, again, with, with the specific circumstance, but then at some point you realize, you know, they're, they're well-meaning fools too. You know, they didn't know any better. They did what they could with what they had. And so be it. Now it's your turn to to make something out of it and to perform. Yes, yes. And, um, and, I, and I get what you say about uh, taking the pain and, and transforming it or finding its gift. Um, mm. That definitely, that's where meaning, I think, comes from in life. If we can find you know, not keep repeating the pain, but to find the lesson and Absolutely. and the meaning that there's, there's, you know, there's a lesson to be learned. And um, I really appreciate what you shared about that. And I, and I don't remember which poem it was, but I do remember your poem in there about pushing the paint around the paper, you know, as, mm. as, as the pain becomes, you know, something you can create with. Um, yeah. And, I think I called it overheard as a kind of yes. shy way of distancing. I, I was wondering, did is was this really overheard? <laughs> yeah, well, overheard, overheard in the inner world, let's say, I, I, uh, with the soul's dialogue with itself. That's how it was overheard. And now I'd like to, you know, as we head towards the last, you know, sort of the ending part of our of our conversation, I would like to return here to Egypt. And the importance of the, you know, the home, the the motherland, and such. And if you could read the poem that you wrote, uh, Egypt, and towards the end of Barely There. Egypt, you are the deep fissure in my sleep, that hard reality underneath a stack of soft cushioning illusions. Self-exiled. Even after all these years, I remain your ever-adoring captive. I register as inner tremors across oceans and continents, the flap of your giant wing struggling to be free. And I know I shall not rest until your glorious metamorphosis is complete. We never, we never quite leave home, do we? <laughs> back, to, back to home and specificity. Uh, it, took me, it took me being here. It took me these eight unfathomable years to realize how deeply uh, connected I am to the motherland, to, to where I grew up, to, to where I called home. You know, uh, when I was there, as, as one does, one is, uh, you know, uh, conflicted and disenchanted and you expect more and better and the rest of it and then and then 
you know, and you think, oh, you know, I, I am from here, but I am not, and I am the rest of it, you know, all these uh, things. And then I came here, and, and especially with a revolution, you know, I'm in my and I didn't even think. There was no thinking process to it. It's it's uh, it's it's like quicksand. It's, you you have the the ground, the, the so-called security swept from under your feet, and you realize, okay, there's a tug, there's a, there's a, there's a giant tug, and, and this tug is because my people, my whatever this means, my people are imperiled, and they're 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 struggling for liberation. How could I not be engaged and involved and implicated? I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, I'm there with you. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking. I mean, I, I, it's surprising to me, uh, Karen, because I never was one to sing national anthems or even before that to get into, you know, whatever they did when they were in school, class spirit, you know, my class versus your class or my team. I never got into that. Uh, I, I loved uh, Einstein's line. I used it in fuse with, you know, nationalism being the measles of mankind. I thought this is all very small, this is all very, you know, local. But but being here and and knowing that uh, a great dear loved one in the shape of a nation, in the shape of, you know, eighty, ninety million souls, I thought I mean it's it, 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 it's impossible to ignore it and it engaged me in a way that that was surprising to me, frankly. I didn't because I left out of a kind of exasperation. But to find myself drawn in this deep way uh, came as a surprise to me. But um, I, I had to surprise because uh, because I, I'm realizing this this too is, is who I am this time around at the very least. You know, it's um, it's interesting. You say the nation as loved one. Um, mm-hmm. That's a great revelation. Uh, to to you know, we can also be uh, parents. Uh, to the nation as though it's a child and feel that kind of protective love in a, in a way. We, you know, I'm a New Yorker born and raised, but uh, my husband and I honeymooned in Maine and fell in love with it and decided to come up here. And so we moved up to Maine and uh, in the summer of 2001, and literally, you know, a few weeks later, 9-11 happened. And, and I was not there and uh, cut off. Uh, I wasn't in New York. Um, on one hand, you know, being happy that I wasn't there, but on the other hand, feeling that the terror and the, you know, that just the heart, you know, it just touches, right. touch the heart and not being able to get to through to anybody and, and all of that. And the only recourse I had was to be in my present place, which was new, mm-hmm. and to pick up the phone and start calling people. And I think it was more for me than you know, for anyone else, because I needed to talk to somebody. And, yeah. uh, uh, and, uh, th- you know, three days later, we wound up with 500 people on the, you know, Camden Amphitheater for the candlelight vigil um, mm. that Friday evening here. And that was sort of like a homecoming for me, you know, in my new place, like a, mm. you know, uh, what do they call it? A housewarming party, you know, the that was, it was, that was the housewarming um, in that moment. And we had, you know, it was a very sort of an in- integral event for the this organization because we had, you know, Christians and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and everyone come and share and speak and pray uh, together uh, there by the harbor. 
And um, so in our pain like that, you know, we reach out to each other. And, you know, there's a there's almost a there's a poetry of cultures individually and combined. There's a story of, of humankind in these things. And, you know, could you speak a little bit to the the sort of hope of, of relationships and, you know, intercultural hope of uh, uh, in, in our relationship, even as you and I are engaging right now? Well, you, you speak very lyrically, and what you finished saying now, I think, uh, just made me aware of something, because I, I do have a tendency to abstraction, and I think this idea of belonging first to your immediate uh, uh, circle is a kind of a way of uh, focusing the love, the way the way you are you, you are you know uh, asked to take care of your neighbor, for example, or you, or we have sayings in Arabic basically saying that um, the charity uh, that your home uh, your home deserves the charity before you take it elsewhere. In the sense of begin with your immediate circle, or Gandhi is the only corner of, of the world that you can change being yourself, and then it radiates or emanates from there. So I think it's uh, this idea of of being attached or a sense of belonging, uh, one would deceive themselves if they if, if they if they thought otherwise. They could have a very uh, generalized uh, love. I think the generalized love too begins at home. Now, as far as uh, intercultural dialogue uh, or interfaith dialogue, I think this this is the the noblest mission that we could possibly have as as as, as human beings. Because the fact is, we could have been that other person. We could have been born. Uh, in in that part of the world, under those circumstances, with those deprivations, with those uh, mind forged manacles and those restrictions, and we would have been versions of those other people. So so that sense of imagination, emotional imagination, or compassion, uh, of colla- allows you to collapse these distances. There isn't really an other. There is a another version of myself that took root elsewhere. Uh, so, so, so I think, I think this is somehow the, the contradiction or, or, or the paradox is, is you begin with your uh, local immediate identification because that's an extension of you and, and the you is inescapable. And then you extend your vision to the you, to the you elsewhere, the manifestations of you elsewhere. And, and I think that's, that's the most we can do, really, is, is, is to recognize that even out there, that's us too, and we and our allegiances must extend, quite frankly, to to everyone we see, and we're we're responsible even for 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 that suffering halfway across the world that we think we have nothing to do with. No, that too, as long as that exists, we're not free. Thank you so much, Yahya Lababidi. Um, poet and author, latest book, Barely There. Um, I just want to let listeners know as we come to the end of the interview that uh, all of your, your contact information and book information uh, is available online at godspeedinstitute.com. And I just want to thank you so much. It's been a distinct pleasure speaking with you and sharing with you. You're a gifted poet, and I'm looking forward to your next work. To have a, a sympathetic listener like you and be heard in this way is, 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 is really a gift. Thank you so much for this time.
thank you too. It does feel a bit like a like a sacred bubble. Uh, it, it, it really is a privilege, and I, I don't I don't take it for granted. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for the Godspeed Institute today. The Godspeed Institute is an independent educational organization dedicated to promoting religious tolerance and spiritually based living. If you'd like to hear this or any of our previous programs again, or send it to someone, simply go to GodspeedInstitute.com. Please send your comments to info at GodspeedInstitute.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. And join us again as we continue to explore all the world's religions and spiritual belief systems. Until then, we wish you Godspeed on your journey.